sleeping underneath stop smashing the ceiling B <laughs> remember like uh, Anthony was saying that there was this weird banging halfway through the track I think that's like us hitting the floor with our foot that's us being nervous is it I mean, it's not being nervous it's just twitches or whatever but because the, this is like the attic they haven't really done anything to insulate the floor are you sure the it's just not the drum kit we've got next door mm, yeah it's the Filipino the boy that's dashing out a beat <laughs> to my uh, hedonistic fantasy it's the little drummer boy we're going to go to war is this okay <laughs> Papa Cameron is this okay <laughs> anyway how's your week been uh, it's been okay yeah has it been so good that you've forgotten how coaster works Thank you. <laughs> Banging! <laughs> I don't care if this is a shitty plywood replica of a desk. <laughs> it's a coaster for a reason. The coaster wasn't there. I had to go find it. That's I mean, you it moved was, it. It was a nice, yeah, it was a nice idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, you don't drink enough to stain your own materials. Oh, I stain my materials plenty, man. <laughs> So, yeah, I was feigning interest in your week. How was it? <laughs> yeah, the comics. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, so yeah. Some, some form of intro. Um, Wait, hold on. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's a shit podcast. Hi, welcome. You're listening to East of Adam West. I'm Cameron. Oh, yeah, and I'm here still. Oh, you've got to say, it's getting slicker every take, you know? It's getting smoother. <laughs> Why, the lead-in time is only half an hour. <laughs> exactly. There's only like 20 seconds of dead air between each of our sentences. Uh, episode two, welcome, welcome. This week we're going to be still sticking with the uh, dystopian kind of horrible story setting, but this time we're going to the future. Yay. Brexit country. <laughs> in a world, in a world where Boris Johnson is king. They built it, they finally built it. That bridge between Ireland and Scotland. Oh my God, here come the trolls. The Welsh are angry. <laughs> where is their bridge? Oh, I walked out. Oh, where's Donald Trump and his bridge building businesses? Yeah, so so yeah, this week we're we're going to be focusing on a uh, kind of neo post-apocalyptic future setting of a story rife with action and sin. Action mm, being the main sexy. word on this. Yeah, action, action heavy panels for of both sheer of books. violent joy and destruction for both books. So, I'm going to be discussing Battle Angel Alita, a classic, a classic manga, again from the 80s, much like last week's Berserk, this time written and illustrated by Yukito Kishiro. It blurs the lines between the human and machine in a kind of sci-fi adventure that's just fun for all the family, as long as there's no PG ratings. So yeah, that's, that's my exciting exposition into comics and I'll uh, be talking about Horizon the image comic written by Brandon Thomas I believe yeah came out quite recently there are only three graphic novel volumes of them I think what 18 comics in total but it also looks at the not as far future as Battle Angel Alita but possible near future sci-fi take and it kind of comes 
it also meets the action adventure side of Alita, mm. I think, or complements. Yeah, because when I described it, and you'd obviously read a few Alita volumes that I led to you, yeah, a while back, so, but you've read them, and the, the one thing you took away from it, or the one thing you really remembered, was the abundance of, uh, of violent action panels. So I suppose you were looking at that to, to compare and contrast to? Yeah, basically. I'm looking at a story told through action beats. Mm. Uh, so I'm... Yeah. I love the action of the beat. It's... it's oh. I need someone to send me a message quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward. Yeah, so cool. So last week, when we were looking at Berserk and Birthright, which I actually started reading from your description, I'm on to like episode 37 and I'm fucking loving Already? it. Already? Oh, I've been power reading. Wait, what have you through. been teaching these kids in school? Yeah, paint whatever, do whatever you want. <laughs> I'm reading. Hey, crowns, take it out your nose. As long as you don't choke, everything's cool. Um, so this week I'm going to- Cool kids drinking. Cool kids drinking cold coffee. Ooh, Ooh. that ice mocha. <laughs> what, five pounds for that, for ice? Wow. Wow, and you couldn't even be able to heat it up? Water Amazing, so revolutionary. Yeah. So this week I'm going to be taking a look at Yukito Kishiro's Battle Angel Alita. It's Again, one of the comics that got me into manga, it's just unadulterated action and fun, punctuated by, well, bits of cuteness and fun facts that just keep you going. It, it's really good. So what I didn't do last week, I didn't really give a synopsis to Berserk, and it was commented on by one of the, I don't know, four people that listened to the show. So <laughs> I took that advice, and I think I'll give a brief synopsis. So it's a story of a mysterious girl with memory loss who finds out she has wicked cool martial arts set in a dystopian post-apocalyptic world where no one cares about each other and you learn about the character as she learns about herself. Battle Angel Alita, it is nine volumes long and it's still going because there's the original Battle Angel Alita and then they've done two separate volumes that continue the story but the focus switches each time so it's kept in the same world it's, it's kept just in the not same, the same protagonist well yeah i mean the first battle angel alita is effectively the character the titular character alita learning about who she is and you discover more and more so it's starting off with a mystery and more is revealed as you go on and it changes the dynamic and then when you get to the second volume there's a different focus when you get to the third one, and so on and so on. So I don't really want to talk about those, I really just want to focus on the beginning to get people started. So Alita's story takes place in this post-apocalyptic neo-cyberpunk future. The Earth is this wasteland after what you can only assume is some kind of nuclear war or nuclear fallout. and. The majority of the planet is not lived on. There aren't big cities, not big metropolises like we have today. Instead, the main focus is this place called the Scrapyard, which is, it's a shanty town of thoughts. Think, uh, think in Johannesburg, Soweto, tin roofed shed constructs where people live in who survive. They survive. Survive, exactly. I think live is the wrong word, survive. In this scrapyard place, crime is rife and violence is commonplace. Humans are living with 
other humans that have taken cybernetic augmentation. You've got full-on cybernetic bodies, you've got people that have got prosthetic limbs, you've got people that have got augmentations. They're all living together. But it's not the glossy, futuristic kinds of synergy-like cybernetic implants where you can't tell where the machine begins and the man ends. It's more like the mechanical parts have just been slapped on it looks very amateur and looks very painful. It's grim and gritty. And there's a non-existent police force in this scrapyard. Crimes regulated and maintained by these bounty hunters that are called hunter killers. They're given jobs to go and find dissidents, petty thugs, rapists, violent criminals, and depending on the severity of the crime, which is arbitrarily judged by a higher force, they get credits and that's how they make money and the first volume is called Killing Angel so you know that the character Elita is going to be a little bit more than she seems from the title above this scrapyard this 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 shanty town city looms this this aerial suspended metropolis of the peak of human technology known as Typhus it's a burgeoning metropolis that you can only assume is filled with wonder, but it's left deliberately mysterious to the reader until much later in the series. But you know that the people up there are frankly better than you, whereas the people below are second-class citizens. A kind of feudalistic system. Yeah, 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 exactly. You're absolutely right. It's, it's kept deliberately secretive, and the people down below are dictated to. Their only means of survival is a reliance upon what the cast-offs, exactly man, the scraps, the, the cast-offs that Typhaeus sends down, hence the title, The Scrap Heap, which is where they live, which is slightly catchy. I thought it's just off. a fighting ring, <laughs> the scrap heap. Yeah, exactly. Or, kind of crappy yet still watchable 90s challenge show where you get a series of nerds building random machines. Shush, shush. Scrap Heap Challenge. It was a good show. It was a good show. It was Sunday afternoon watching. Well, the thing is, they don't have... Who played Crichton in Red Dwarf? Uh, Robert Llewellyn. Okay, I... Oh, see, when I hear that, I think Llewellyn Bowen. The, um... It's not him. No. No. <laughs> Little too flamboyant for the kind of mechanical style. Ooh, you built an engine, <laughs> did you? Ooh, yeah, but where's, I the, love it. where's the purple trimming? <laughs> <laughs> anyway... <laughs> So, like I said, above uh, the scrap heap looms Typhus. Alita is first introduced where she's found by this scavenging figure who's later revealed to be a guy called Dr. Ido. And he finds her in the junk junkyard, which is the cast-offs of this Typhus, this big city above. And only her head and brain are intact. So Dr. Ido turns out to be like a cyber technician, cyber doctor, whatever you call it. It's a guy that basically helps out the cyborgs with implants and things like that. Like a mechanic stroke doctor. Exactly. So because only her brain and head were intact, you have no idea how old this girl is. She gets named by Dr. Ido as Alita and he becomes a kind of paternal father figure to her. He raises her as if she's his child. She suffers memory lock and has memory loss and has this childlike innocence exploring the world which is juxtaposed against this this harsh post-apocalyptic setting. The cuteness of the character uh, is actually integral, especially at the start of the story, because it cuts against this lethal martial arts that she begins to employ as the story goes on, 
almost intuitively. And this martial art that she uses is later revealed to be called Panzerkunst. It's this like long last Martian military grade martial art that only cyborgs can use. And it's thought to be like unparalleled. Like, you know, oh my God, it's like the ultimate martial art. Think Ken Shiro and Fist of the North Star. That juxtaposition, does it throw you off or does it bring you in? The uh, the cuteness of the character with the violence that this this character enacts. Well, no, yeah, it's. I think it's really needed because the cuteness adds this this levity against the very harsh nature of the story. Because it's this indifferent world where people are treated as second class citizens, and it's just dark. It's not morbid, but it's it's <laughs> given up. Humanity is lost. People don't care anymore. People have given up. Heads so the down, cuteness, just get on with it. Exactly. We live. We Bend die, over and whatever. take it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I think the cuteness, this childlike innocence in a very dark setting, is a welcome oasis of sorts against the continued seriousness of the material. And in the first volume, does it set up the bigger mystery of this world and this character? Or is it more you're just getting to know the characters and the, and the beats of what the, uh, the action that's going to happen in these stories? Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's all of those things, actually. Because you start off with Lisa who knows nothing and she's, she's pampered and she's, she's infantized. She's left as a child. And Dr. Ryder obviously has to rebuild her body or give her a body because she's just a head and a face effectively when she's found. And he gives her this, this ornate, almost ivory-like battle, not a battle body, uh, ivory-like body. She's, she's, she's treated like a china doll. And that's what the body she's given almost represents. So he's treating her like this delicate little wallflower, when in reality, she's effectively an incredibly honed killing machine. As the story progresses, the opening volume focuses on Alita's journey to becoming a hunter killer, one of these bounty hunters that was mentioned before. It is artistically glorious. And much like Berserk that we spoke about last week, A, the art starts off wonderfully, but it just gets better and better as the volumes continue. Is it smoother? The art said the lines get tighter, as we said before, the shading gets more pronounced. It's just so much detail. It's beautiful. It's beautiful to actually look at. And the story itself is engaging. It's, it's, it's a story of mystery. It's a story of growth. It's a child, story of childlike innocence that's gradually getting trodden on by this harsh world that it's set in. So it sounds it sounds like you enjoy the pacing of this like it, it gives you just enough to enjoy the moment but also lead into something else it does naturally flow it does naturally flow quite easily and I also like the lore behind it he goes deeper into the story by introducing something a martial art form a, a, a tidbit of history some kind of obscure weapon that you'll never have heard about and he'll expect the he writes it as if he expects the reader to know about it already. But to help with that for people that are unfamiliar... Prompt. He'll have, yeah, to prompt it, he'll have a little caption box at the bottom of a panel or something like that, which gives you the deeper history behind it. So say, for example, there was a, I don't know, some kind of electrical weapon or something being employed. He'll tell you about, I don't know, Tesla's alternate current, or if he's talking about some obscure martial art that's used he might talk about Shinto karate or something like that but he gives you the back history of modern day real life events to make this future world relatable and understandable that sounds 
It's really interesting. It sounds like the fighting or the action scenes in it are as frenetic as the information being parceled out, but also doesn't get in the obfuscate up get in the way. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't it doesn't get in the way. I mean, you could skip out that information entirely if you wanted to. I like it when it gets deeper. I'm the kind of person that if he reads a story if, if I was watching uh, I don't know, Clone Wars or something like that, I might go off and read something about the you're Star Wars a, universe. You're a, lore, you're a lore guy. I'm a you're lore a, junkie. Yeah, you're a, you're a guy that likes the bigger world and I like depth. I like it to have I like it to be rich. Yeah, I mean, you like everything else to have depth, and you not to, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like to uh, live vicariously through <laughs> someone for else's depth. For the listener, Cameron is paper thin. <laughs> mm, mm. But not in the flesh. So anyway, that's my uncohesive uh, take on Battle Angel Alita. Um, what have you brought to the uh, sacrificial table of the comic gods? Well, that was uh, shit. What have you brought to the, the comic gods? What have you brought to the sacrificial table of the comic god, Simon? Yeah, let's not do that. Let's find something else. What have I brought to the table? What have you brought to the table, man? To the grand Thanksgiving feast of comicdom. Yeah. <laughs> Our great lord of change, Tzench. <laughs> the harvest has come in. The bounty is the three-coloured printing. <laughs> um, so I bought uh, Horizon, uh, another Image Comics. Uh, you can see a theme going on here. I quite enjoy the innovative publishing of Image. They'll try something. They'll always try something. So what is it about Image Comics? I mean, they're pretty well established now. But when I first saw them coming out, I always assumed that they were almost amateur-style comic book artists or people that were just starting out, and it was a platform for them. Or, I mean, what, what, what's your take on Image Comics? I mean, DC and Marvel are well-established. They're the big two that people think so of. Image came about in the mid-'90s when a bunch of Marvel artists were sick and tired of being told what to do and having no control and not owning any of the characters they created. Yeah. Fuck so, you, Stanley. Yeah. So they created Image Comics, which is kind of an umbrella company where anyone can publish their own stuff under the umbrella of Image, uh, and they still own the rights to it. Image just get a cut of the sales. Okay. So everyone that creates something in Image own the rights to their books. It kind of sort of reminds me of uh, that film, um, 24 Hour Party People. Remember it with Steve Coogan? Where okay. they were establishing in the oh, the the nineties yeah. up in Manchester or something, the big um, the Richard dance and blood. It's it's yeah. a contract exactly where the artists effectively come together and work, but none of the material is owned by the company. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, that, that, it's it's why they can they can try something new for like a mini series or a longer series, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't really affect the end line. Well, it, I mean, it can always go badly, and people go like, "This is a terrible." book so I won't try anything else from this line but they can always bring in new writers new artists I mean I'm, I'm sure they've got an editing process or a, a, a stopgap to stop shit from being done you know an artist or a writer has to have done a few books for major publishers yeah before they try uh, they're given their own yeah they one. don't want untested or the very, or the very least the book has to 
have a couple of issues already written and inked and drawn before they kind of go right can you keep the pace up with this because you get a lot of independent comics where uh, the writer or the artist starts a storyline and then just don't keep up with it because they've got other things going on in their life other books they're writing mm. maybe this isn't maybe this is more of a passion project and it can't take up more of their time or they're so lost in what they could do with it they just don't make any decisions with the book do you do you think that image comic writers are more more risk takers oh hell yeah yeah like there's a book called bitch planet <laughs> it's not my cup of tea but the art in it is fucking brilliant and you you wouldn't get that in a, a marvel or a dc or even a valiant mm. yeah no like some of the best books I think are, have been written by mainstay writers in DC and Marvel and stuff like that but mainstay writers that have just been given free reign to create their own stuff unfettered access to their own out their material yeah, yeah yeah so Horizon is a book that came out roughly 2016 2017 okay so again it's quite new I mean I'm I'm starting with <laughs> you're you're you talk about legacy comics as mm. much as I'm talking about the brand new uh, new ideas out on the on the board. Yeah. And Horizon to complement Alita, which is an action has a lot of action in it and quite a frenetic pace. Horizon is a story told through action beats. Or at least in the first volume. So what do you mean by action beats? Well, you can actually have characters character growth within five panels of people punching each other. And that comes down to the pacing of the paneling, the artist, the writer, knowing what their intention is by the end of three or four pages. We want a character to, you know, it's, it's like when a, an actor shows a lot of emotion through just their face or their actions. They don't have to say what they're doing. I'm gonna punch you, oh, I felt that. Ah, you wearing a ring, and my mother was wearing a ring. Why am I feeling these emotions? Yeah, you the can... bish bash bosh style of the yeah. kinds of Adam West, holy is his name. Yeah, um. I, 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 <laughs> pow! Some, some, this is kind of a comment on not needing exposition to tell a story. This is where action uh, or movements can say more about the character. Even just placement, having a character stand in the rain and they're maybe spying on someone and it's just their limited movements or what the artist draws of their limited movements to say this is a character taking in more than just the person they're spying on. They're taking on the world that they're living in. Alright, well. so deliberate minimalism designed to kind of convey the character's emotions, reasons, all of that stuff without yeah. having to like stretch it out in a massive fucking exactly. convoluted... I mean, Okay, the story is basically, a synopsis of it is it's a preemptive strike by an alien, not world, but like a series of alien planets against Earth. Okay, Men in Black style Kind of, kind of, but they're kind of the three of them, or actually four, four of these aliens are dropped onto Earth under the guise of, say, dropping from a helicopter or dropping from... Like a, a dropship kind drop of thing. Dropship, yeah, type of thing. And they land and they have to find each other on Earth and implement their plan. And you don't know what their plan is. Oh, so they're all separated straight from the beginning. Yeah, but it's, mean, not, it's not so kind of they have to find each other over the journey of the, like, Lord of the Rings type thing. They're just 
landing on a planet. I the mean, planet rotates, so... <laughs> I get it, but, I mean, quick question. Given that you've got these advanced, obviously technologically advanced aliens who have managed to travel vast stretches of space, light year technology, why can't they arrive in the same spot each? <laughs> Is it deliberate that they're scattered, or...? Well, yeah, if you're on a, uh, an aeroplane that's going to drop into a, a country that's got radar, mm. You don't land a plane in it. You drop people from an ash. Uh, oh, and you spread them out in case one you gets caught. You spread it out exactly. You I spread it you. out saying you're caught. Less mass on the screen. Okay. For someone to pick up. So they're dropped onto the earth. They have a plan to meet up, and they have a plan to disrupt something on earth. Okay. To stop Earth from doing something. And again, this is the mystery of it. You're so close to these characters and their motivation. Uh, their their immediate movements that you're not given exactly the bigger world but all that information is eked out over the simple information uh, or the, the simple dialogue of completing the mission is given out in later volumes they'll go into more of a backstory of these characters and it is it adds so much more depth when you reread the first comic. Yeah. Just the interaction between these characters, even little things of just looks these characters give. You're going like, fuck me, this is all planned out. You knew who these characters were. You have so much confidence in who these characters are. And then you imparted this to the artist to represent. This is why an artist and a writer working together create a wonderful synergy. Mm. It's, you're not fighting against each other. Well, it's like having a, a director working with an editing team. They, they understand the, each yeah, other. Yeah, they understand each other. You're not kind of um, cutting from one scene to the next. You're flowing from one scene to the next. Yeah, yeah, I get that. But what I really want to know is, when does Will Smith's character turn up? Uh, well, funnily enough, there is a black character. <laughs> oh my god! Edgy! <laughs> No, Will Smith isn't in this, thank fucking God. <laughs> the uh, the human characters uh, do come into play. They're almost slightly maniacal. Like, they have planned countermeasures for these aliens. This is set This is set in the near future, maybe 50, maybe 100 years in the future. So the, the sci-fi elements, the future elements, aren't crazy. But they have, say, uh, uh, like a Wi-Fi connected world okay. type thing. There are some cyborgs and stuff like that. But it's not. But it's more like, uh, you know, cybernetic arms type thing than just the normal human arm stuff. Augmentations. Yeah, augmentation. But it's not crazy augmentation like wires flying out and creating berserk style fighting thing. This is just. This is the natural progression of this. So it's believable enough in that the technological advancements aren't so yeah. cutting edge that like, I, I could never relate to that in any way, shape or form. Exactly. It's not like this is future tech, which is magic. Which also makes when you start seeing the alien technology and you're thinking, oh my god, we're fucked. Like These aliens are going to do a preemptive strike and uh, fuck over humanity. And we don't know if they're the good guys or the bad guys type thing. Because that's the thing. We don't know. We're following aliens and you automatically think the bad guys. And we're thinking of following a bad guy. Sorry, how are humans going to cope? But it turns out the aliens are the protagonists and doing it for a good reason. They're doing it like if the story was flipped, you'd have humans flying into an alien world trying to stop the aliens from maybe doing something to their world. So do the 
aliens are the humans aware of the aliens his first contact being made in this hundred year gap from no, the present day no, and the future human, human world and alien world they do not know of the other worlds but their governments do their, uh, their multi-corporations the big do know of this so and humans, you, don't, you don't quite know how much they know of each other but it's not a surprise when these human uh, when these aliens uh, are alien protagonists attack a human base and one of the big bosses comes out and you're like I knew you were coming we planned for this mm. and they're going like fuck how the fuck do you know about aliens and they're going like where do you think we got half our technology from yeah but let's say the art is quite frenetic I mean even the action beats tell the story as much as dialogue and the colouring and the inking as well is left minimal mm. to have more of an emotional punch with it you're not looking at a cartoon you're looking at an edgy indie indie noir-esque movie okay yeah it's, it's, it's got all the grey beats but with darker tone colours yeah they didn't seem to have massive amounts of shading or detail in there so again it just seems to be one toned like a coat someone might be wearing is just sheer brown as opposed to having multiple shades in there I think they're focusing on the actual action the, the energy behind each of the panels as opposed to making it look terribly pretty because it is very fast paced each page is like containing about what I don't know seven panels and it's very fluid in terms of the action just jumping from scene to scene yeah and then the, even just the, the the use of panels to guide the eye round to the fluid motion of it mm. I mean the use of a splash page in it is impact if you cut out half the panel uh, most of the panels and have one picture of it it's done that for a reason it's to have that smash impact of that punch that emotional line that something like that Brandon Thomas, the writer and the artist, they're both quite new. I mean, uh, cumulatively, they've got probably 200 issues they've ever written or inked um, separately in their own worlds on previous stuff. This has only got 18, maybe 20 issues in itself. So, oh, so quite, it's still quite early. Yeah, it's, it's still uh, quite, like... quite early, and this is quite new or quite early for the both these writer and artists okay. in their career. So it's, again, it's fresh. Yeah. So, what, have they done other series that people might know? No. Okay, so they really are I, I literally had a look up. I mean, the the artist has done some 2008 stuff. Okay. One or two issues in some Marvel and DC stuff. Mm. Uh, the writer... The biggest mainstream stuff he's done outside of this was he's, he wrote 12 issues of the Dynamite Comics Voltron series. Oh, right, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's It's got a kind of... Um, the artistic style is similar to uh, I want to say Jack Kirby. No, who did? Who Alex did? Ross. Alex Ross. Yeah, it's got a very Alex the, Ross the, artistic the coloring, style to it. Definitely. Yeah, but that's very detailed. Uh, trying to look at make it look like realistic in yeah. terms of. But that's the writer. I don't know who the artist is with the Voltron thing. Yeah. Um, well, the only thing, if I was thinking about, if I was going to compare art to something what that other people might have seen, it kind of looks like. The original Hellboy series. Oh, funnily enough, yes. The uh, the artist worked on an offshoot of Mike Minnelli's Hellboy stuff, the BPRD stuff. Oh, okay. Um, so you think he's picked up a similar style in art or drawing? No, no, it is. It is that guy. Oh, the, is. The, oh right, the, the artist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he were, uh, He drew a lot of the uh, not a lot of it, but like good chunk of uh, the BPRD stuff. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because it did. It did. It was glaringly obvious how similar they were. It, it, it's good. It's good art. But it, I, mean, I had to look that up. You sir have an eye. <laughs> cool. It it sounds it sounds really good. If you like a sci-fi series that's got a really great uh, moralistic tale as well as a tight action beat to it that slowly unfurls who the characters are as much as the world, check out Horizon. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so no, that sounds awesome. I will definitely give it a read. Um, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, if you look at the description underneath this episode, we will, as always, put a link to where you can find Battle Angel Alita and Horizon. Um, and hopefully, if you're interested, you can go venture deeper into them and buy the episodes yourself. Next week, uh, we will be taking a slightly different look at comics because I've just been looking at two signing comics so far, which are very serious and adult. I'm going to take a look at a shonen comic that's got a more kind of farcical feel to it. It's One Punch Man. Kapow. <laughs> I was hoping you'd say something like, and I'll be. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, I mean, you didn't look at me. You didn't. I know, I gave you Again, no cue. You just stared into the distance, kind of go like, I'm reliving this comic in my head. Now. Cold, dead eyes. <laughs> <laughs> like you resigned yourself to go like, fuck, I'm doing this with him, am I? I was hoping there'd be some kind of like empathic understanding. No, no, there's no empathic no, understanding. There's no bond. There's, mean, there's no bond. There's no fucking understanding anyway. <laughs> I'm thinking uh, I'm probably going to talk about Barry Ween Boy Genius by Only Comics back in 2002, 2004. Cool, yeah, outstanding. What is it? Similar thing, kind of like parody fun of itself? Yes, it kind of rips the shit out. It's like this, um. Oh, fuck, I need to think of better words. If you know any better words, please write in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it kind of uh, pastiches the whole sci fi boy genius storyline through action beats there's a lot of action there's a lot of adventure but there's a lot of taking the piss out of why the fuck is this even happening cool I'm gripped already see you next time <laughs> remember if you have any ideas for comics write them <laughs> <laughs>